Welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Today is just a continuation of our February RPG nonsense <laughs> overload. <laughs> It's That's just, a great, it, it needs a stop. subtitle. It needs three. <laughs> I think whenever a new big RPG comes out, there should be a new subtitle for that phrase. Yes, yes. We Ar- started with the year of second chances. Things seemed so bright. And now it's <laughs> RPG nonsense overload reborn. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, as we've talked about in the past couple of weeks, it just seems like every week there's at least one or two new huge RPGs that are coming out at the beginning of this year, enough to satisfy for an entire calendar year, all happening around the same couple of weeks. We've been playing Persona 3 Reload. We've been playing like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. There's a whole other, there's a Grand Blue game that came out recently that's apparently pretty good that neither of us have played and probably won't until we have any time at all. Yeah, that's maybe a January game in four years. I yeah. can feel like, <laughs> like, why don't we get into the series? Yeah, when, when it's like on Game Pass or something, we'll be like, oh yeah, finally. Um, yeah. And the looming threat, of course, is Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which is the follow-up to Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, a game that came out in 2020 the the purported first part of a multi-part remake ground up remake of final fantasy 7 you and i played that when it came out loved it a lot we'll probably talk a little bit more about that but final fantasy 7 rebirth is coming out i think in two weeks at least from the time this it comes out on leap day comes out on leap day which feels fitting yeah and there's a demo out i they sony had a state of play that was just focused on rebirth i actually didn't watch it i just i just saw the news of it after somehow i didn't either i was tagged <laughs> in the discord though because i like minutes like we had recorded prior to that coming out yeah and i foolishly said like it'll probably be like a pretty straightforward linear like 30 hour game and apparently that is not the case at all so yeah. they're leaning into the open world part of final fantasy 7 which if you haven't played the original you go through the whole Midgar stuff which is probably like if you don't know Final Fantasy 7 and you've seen images of it that you've seen the Midgar stuff probably yeah. you go through that and then after that that's like that's like maybe a third of the game the second third is like a huge open world kind of sprawling uh, adventure story that is more akin to other Final Fantasy games. Yeah, I think Final Fantasy VII it originally came out on three discs for the PlayStation, which there was an era, my formative era of Final Fantasy is the PS1 era of yeah. the series. And every game after Persona <laughs> Final Fantasy VII came out on multiple discs because it couldn't all be contained on one CD. Right. Um, so like Final Fantasy VIII and IX were four discs, if you can believe it. Yeah. There is something powerful about the idea that this game technically is also coming out on multiple discs and will probably be three by the end of it. Yeah, I do like the sort of vinyl-esque experience of playing the original Final Fantasy and seeing like, you know, this beautiful artwork of a character and then it says, please insert disc two. Yeah. And they like, they really knew the exact moments to, to like pull the curtain in mm-hmm. that game. Like disc one ends very much where intermission would be if it was a play, you know, like, right. it is a, a pretty definitive end to the first part of the game. But yeah, like you said, Midgar, like the game kind of pulls a magic trick and this is not really a spoiler. It's fairly known at this point, but regardless, like Midgar is long enough that when you're playing the original Final Fantasy VII, you might think, oh, this is the full game. Like the right. whole game could be here because it's a rich enough setting and there's enough to do there and enough like literal layers to the city that it could perceivably be the whole game. And then there's that moment where you're outside 
of Midgar and you see there's a whole world. Yeah. Um, and it's a really incredible moment. I, I think it one is just an exciting moment of gameplay possibilities, but I think narratively it reminds the player and the cast that like there's more to the world than just this city that feels like so all-powerful and all-consuming. Yeah, yeah, just like a hyper-capitalist dystopia is where you've been spending all of your time and you just kind of think that that's the story that they're telling. And it is, to be clear, but when you get outside of Midgar is when the the contrast becomes really stark specifically because yeah. the rest of the world is not dark and dank and does not have the same level of uh, oppressive energy that Midgar has. Not to say that it's not there and that Shinra, the, com- the evil company in the game, isn't present everywhere. They have their tendrils all over the place. But for the most part, Midgar is literally depicted as just like kind of a black void hole in the middle yeah, of the it open looks world. Like a, it looks like a tumor on, on the earth. Yeah. You know, yeah. But I think what's beautiful about that setting is like, despite how horrific it is and what a warning it is to like our own reality in many ways, uh, there are people there that still consider it home and that want it to be a livable and breathable place. Yeah, you know? right. So anyway, Final Fantasy VII Remake is just the Midgar section reimagined. And now this new part, Rebirth, is the whole world map section. Yeah. Uh, and then in the original game, the third disc is kind of just a continuation of that. It's largely just like because there were so many cutscenes, there needed to be a third disc. <laughs> um, I do have a feeling of where I think this part will end. Um, but I think what's worth noting, and this won't be a spoiler, but Final Fantasy VII Remake was interesting because parts of it were one to one with the original. So like there were some scenes that were just like, here is this exact scene, but with better graphics. Right. Then then most of it, I would say, was like the same beats of the original story, but, you know, more time was spent on certain things. It was like same beats, but delivered in a very different way. And then some pieces of it were just completely new, like right. Roche, who was n- not even <laughs> hinted at in the original. But it seems like that approach is what this second part will be like like mm-hmm. at least from the promo material we've seen i haven't watched the state of play yet but like i finished this demo there's kind of like a, a teaser of just like a bunch of different moments in the next part they show you so it they do purposely show like oh here's costa del sol here's gold saucer right the whole party is going to be joining in rebirth and it feels like we are going to get a lot of those like beloved vignettes mm-hmm. i was actually really happy to see that dine was present in the the demo because that's the storyline that i was worried would be cut in the remake yeah uh, and i i think it's one of the more powerful moments of the original game um yeah. so very excited for that so i feel like i'm expecting a similar approach i expect it to get wild and it already kind of is but i'm glad that we are getting a lot of what we had in the original game yeah seemingly at least yeah i i think the the thing for me like very personally that's notable about this is final fantasy 7 remake was the first final fantasy game i ever finished uh it came out like right when the pandemic and quarantine hit it was like april of 2020 so we were like a month into okay we're just at home all the time uh and it was kind of like the perfect game for that moment i think but i hadn't played the original really uh, at least enough to know what was gonna happen here so that was really my first like full-on foray into final fantasy 7 and even with that even without the context of what happened in the original game i think a lot of that stuff landed really well and i i have found and maybe you would find your listener if you haven't played the original that you have 
through osmosis picked up so much of what's going on in that game, even without playing it, that the moments in which they do decide to twist the story here and there in new ways and go in new directions still end up landing really well. That said, I have played the original since then. We made a point to do a bonus episode about it where I played through the whole original game. You replayed through it for however many times you have at this point. Maybe the 20th time. Yeah. Like actually. Yeah. And uh, it's exciting to be going into Rebirth now actually knowing the full story and knowing the full context. That's it's really exciting. I, th- I think replaying the original or playing the original for the first time was helpful in the Midgar section to like really kind of anchor down exactly what happened in that original story as a way of then reflecting on my experience with remake. But going into Rebirth, knowing what actually happens going forward, I think is going to be really exciting because without saying too much, the subtitle, a lot of people have commented on this, but the subtitle of remake is not as literal as you would think. It is not just we are remaking Final Fantasy VII, but it is a little bit more as you would maybe expect from Final Fantasy fantasy it is a little bit headier than that and it is trying to encapsulate more ideas than just we are remaking this game i I think the most i would want to say about it outside of a spoiler context is there are like ghosts flying around in this game that are representative of like the final fantasy fandom and the ways in which they've demanded a remake or at least the pressure of it because i think think it's really worth noting like obviously you know we're big final fantasy fans final fantasy 7 is like what is star wars to other people it is to me like Mm -hmm. it is the game that that got me into video games at a very young age. Um, and then that it is that for a lot of people. And I think yeah. that's why the idea of remaking it has been this white whale at Square for decades. Right. Like pretty much since it came out. Because even on the PS1, like you look at eight and nine and they look they have a more consistent visual style. Like they yeah. kind of figured out 3D by the end of that era in a way they had not when the first seven came out. Right. And I think like going into that remake, it's amazing that that game was received as well as it was. I think it's an incredible game. Yeah. But I think like this is an impossible task to please everybody. And the fact that most people walked away from it being like, yeah, that was cool. And a lot of new people are now Final Fantasy VII fans. Like that is, they accomplished the impossible. So from my perspective, they already did what they needed to do. It can go totally off the rails now and I'll still be happy with with the first part. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm entering rebirth with. I agree. And and there's a there is a thing that I I remember saying, I don't I don't know exactly how I put it, but I remember saying something to this effect before that game came out that I will reiterate for rebirth, which is I don't think you make and release a Final Fantasy VII remake unless you know it's a slam dunk because yeah. it is such a tenuous tightrope walk of a of a thing to pull off. And as you said, they did pull it off with the first one. I feel similarly about rebirth i feel like they kind of have to know that it's great like from what we know at least like reviewers are already playing it like there are people who have their hands on it the review embargo is going to go up like long before the game comes out we're playing a demo of it already we're talking about the demo on this episode there's gonna be another demo that's coming out i think within the next week like they seem to be very confident in this game which I, th- I think i think says a lot to me you know I, I i also i think because i've now played the original and i loved remake so much i'm kind of leaning more towards your camp 
now where I'm like, okay, wait, this is my baby, though. Don't fuck it up. Yes. And yet I feel the confidence exuding from Square Enix that they're like, you know what? We're not going to be included in that other state of play you just did. We, we need our own the next week after that. You know, stuff like that says to me that they're very, very sure that this game is going to be very good. And having played the demo, which is maybe a good segue at this point, having played the demo, it's very good. I, we're, I do have gripes. I think we'll have the same exact gripes and I'm thrilled at that. Probably. Yeah. 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 I do have gripes, but overall, like it is more of what made that remake part one great in a larger more open setting telling a story that we know well in a way that feels fresh and interesting and still true to the original i have about a billion and a half questions from like a lore perspective which we may or may not get into i don't know how much you want to talk about that stuff on this but like i just think it feels like another game that i'm just going to absolutely digest as quickly as possible this is a series i think you mentioned with dragon quest that like there's a part of you that just like totally turns off the critical part of your brain and you're just like in it yeah and that i think like what's thrilling about this whole remake verse is that like i enter it with that same switch turned off and then i turn it back on for this show and it's like (laughs) i think we mentioned this so it's not necessarily a official bonus but we do have two episodes about final fantasy 7 remake we have a bonus about the original and we have two episodes about the remake one is spoiler free and one is a spoiler conversation after we have finished it yeah so it's essentially like a pseudo bonus right so if you want like full conversations about that uh that exists but we mentioned on that episode and i've i say this a lot when i talk about how i like remake as good as it is there are moments where it reveals how terrible it could have been uh, and there are <laughs> things there are things in it that just don't make any sense like there's a maximalism to both the demo of rebirth and final fantasy 7 remake i think there is a strong understanding by this team of what made the original so great i mean it is a collaboration of, of some people that have like nomura who worked on the original yeah and then there are a lot of people who like grew up with it or had a formative experience with it and are now working on the remake which i think is why it's, it's full of that energy mm. like you just feel a lot of love from both games yeah but there's just some stuff where it's like one of the things about seven is that there are a lot of weird mini games in it you know there's a squatting (laughs) contest to win a wig that's a key item in a quest yeah there's like a terrible submarine mini game that's like showing off 3d for the first time like there's snowboarding uh there's also like a place called gold saucer that is like a kind of vegas casino environment that i'm actually scared to see what they do with and and remake because it was already a lot in the original but like ff7 despite the brooding nature of it and the heavier themes is like a very funny and goofy game in a lot of moments like that's an element that a lot of the older final fantasies have where i think because they had to be presented in sort of a minimalist style like on the super nintendo and on older consoles like there needed to be a little bit of self-awareness and levity even in the higher stakes journeys i think the series started to lose that a bit like after 12 where like they start to take themselves very seriously yeah honestly it's kind of what i like about 15 i feel like 15 brings that back in a way where there is like a recognition that like it's a little bit goofy and like Mm -hmm. you know we can just hang out and be a boy band on a vacation sometimes yeah but regardless like they know that people have an attachment to those weird mini games and they've made even more in the remake and some of them are just terrible (laughs) and there are a few in this demo that i'm like do we need like I'll, i'll just say I would need to get one thing off my chest. 
there is a repeated mandatory mechanic in the rebirth demo where cloud has to push around a vacuum <laughs> that like soaks in mako poisonous fumes it's like this nuclear waste vacuum that you have to use to unlock like two mandatory gates mm-hmm. and i'm just like why is this one of the like key features that are being underlined and bolded in this demo <laughs> that like in in you know in addition to doing these team up attacks and and all this exciting new stuff and seeing this open world you're also gonna have to vacuum up toxic waste every now and then yeah it's <laughs> stuff like that that just honestly Honestly, I kind of love, but raises so many question marks in the design of this game. The thing for me, that felt really transparent to me as an influence of other AAA video games on this one. Yeah. Like, I I think one of the things about this game that I kept feeling was there were moments like that where I recognized exactly the boardroom meeting where they brought up another AAA Sony first party game. So yes. in that case specifically, it was The Last of Us Part 2 where they had the rope physics that went viral amongst all of those game developers because everyone's like, "Wow, how did they make this rope work so well?" And if you haven't played that game specifically, it was like using the tension and the space that a rope can fill in space to solve puzzles and something about the actual programming of those physics in that game was like really impressive to a lot of game developers so there are a lot of people posting about that when it happened and you can feel that thread of virality in those rope physics present here because the way <laughs> the first time you vacuum you're just vacuuming and then the second time you vacuum I can't believe we're even talking about this but the second time you vacuum the way it works is like the cable that's connecting the vacuum to I guess its energy source is only so long so you need to navigate space to make sure that you're like utilizing the um, the length of cable that you have and it moves around exactly like it does in the last of us part two and that was when i was like oh yeah okay i know exactly where you got this from that's a good observation yeah i didn't even think about that and then there's there's also the points where it's like okay you need to go through this crevasse and it like does the third you know the third person kind of zoom in as like cloud shimmies through uh, a little like cave wall structure and it's just like the very classic old school not even old school but like previous generation like ps4 generation we need to load the next section in so what we're gonna do is like have you kind of shimmy through this space and we'll like tell a little bit of a story while it's happening like the characters will have some dialogue but really we're just masking a loading sequence or like when you get in an elevator and you don't really need to get an elevator but the reason you're in there is so they can load a new space in yeah which is funny because i think they're doing that for like consistency reasons and because it's also a thing that is like well known amongst people who play video games at this point it's like that's why they have sequences like that but also the first time it happened i had this brain blast that was like part one of this game came out on the ps4 and was developed for the ps4 and this is now being developed for and coming out on the ps5 specifically like this is a game that is built from the ground up for the quote-unquote new generation of consoles whose whole pitch was we have the fastest hard drive known to man and there are no more loading sequences like that's we're doing away with loading entirely in this generation that was at least how it was pitched the reality of that is very different because of course all of these companies sony microsoft included are making their games for pc as well as as whatever console so it kind of undoes like you can't just build a game for the ps5's fastest ever hard drive if you're also building it for like somebody's kind of shitty pc that they're playing at low settings but that having been said it's in those moments where i'm like i just i want you to take advantage of this thing you know because as we always say about final fantasy every time we talk about them on, on the show final fantasy for the longest time was the spectacle 
the showcase for what was possible in video games like graphically like the square oh, yeah. enix final fantasy team for the longest time was the front runner for showing what was going to be possible in terms of like just pushing power out of all of these consoles and making video games seem like they could be cinematic until you eventually get to spirits within and then it all falls apart but i think no, but like yeah 10 coming out on ps2 i remember yes. being like it felt like oh this is the future and all, yes. i mean 13 still looks amazing it does on, on the on the series s even like it, it's one of the best looking games on that console still yeah yeah but it's it's in moments like that with the like shimmying where i'm like do i really need to sit like i hate to say it and this is just where my brain is at at this point in my life i guess but i hate to say it but like when i as soon as cloud started shimmying through that little cave structure i know this is such a like specific thing to be honing in on but i had the urge to take out my phone and like open it up and like do something on my phone while while he was shimmying through because it's like it's unnecessary i know why they're doing it they don't need to be doing it anymore and it's removing the tension from the moment and that i think is like kind of where the gripe is and it's also worth kind of taking a step back similar to all the people who were like dunking on some of the kind of jpeggy graphics of some of the skyboxes in, in the previous part of this which you and i did you know some of like the door textures that looked like shit like all of this stuff yeah these are so small points to be bringing up like these points are so negligible but the game is so fucking good that this is like this stuff stands out yeah because it feels like they're so close to perfection you know yeah no totally i mean the the, the textures i think because the first game i think was like pretty visibly affected by covid as all games were in development because yep. it had also been delayed a few times so i kind of like chalked up a lot of the like tony hawk underground textures and npcs to, to the rush development of it but you can also it's it's jarring because like cloud and tifa and barrett and Aerith look like amazing like they're like the highest one trillion polygons yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and then they talk to someone in a ps2 game and it's like are they in the same reality yeah um this game definitely i mean at least in the demo i didn't notice any of that like and i i would wager someone like in red pen wrote the jpeg issue because there is a reveal of the distant like sky and and landscape in this game that really actually took my breath away. Yeah, I, I message you. I'm like, I, I'm kind of numb to good graphics at this point. So it's worth noting this demo takes place in the Nibelheim flashback. So for those who play the original, like the minute Cloud and friends get out of Midgar, the nearest next place is a town called Comtown. And you take a break and you go into the inn and everyone's like, all right, Cloud, tell us your backstory. And then you play through this flashback that goes into like what happened to Cloud when he joined Soldier, what happened to his hometown, and also like his brief sort of friendship pupil teacher relationship with Sephiroth. Because before Sephiroth becomes the villain of the game, he was seen as a hero and like people loved him. Like when he comes to town, he's seen as a celebrity. So it goes through that, and the demo is essentially like that flashback i think the next demo is going to be more about like the open world and and the party mates you've played as um but this demo does this part of it and honestly like this is a part of the game that feels pretty one-to-one -one. like this yeah. actually felt the most one-to-one -one of all the moments so far i was surprised at how one-to-one -one it felt because there are there are certain plot elements that i don't want to go too into that i feel like we've already kind of talked about in remake and i'm curious yeah. why they're coming up again in rebirth and i i have enough faith in the team that they're doing it on purpose but it's really fun it's really fun when they put you in Sephiroth's shoes and they're like, 
guess what? Sephiroth's your party leader because of course he is because it doesn't make sense for Cloud to be the party leader. And then you just get to be Sephiroth for like some really low level fights, which are exhilarating because it's like one or two swipes and the things are dead. But also the boss fight that you do. There's a boss fight at a certain point uh, in this in this demo where it's Sephiroth and Cloud. And at this point, probably you're playing a Sephiroth and Cloud just keeps getting like grabbed and is just like rendered immobile by this giant boss who has like a, a kind of claw for a tail. And he's just like, Sephiroth, help me, Sephiroth, help me. And then you're playing a Sephiroth and you get to just like destroy the thing and cut its tail off so it can't grab Cloud anymore. Very funny. Very good. It's really interesting because in the original game, like this flashback, you know, it's like Cloud who just joined Soldier, a few Shinra soldiers and Sephiroth in like the back of a truck. And then they stop and there's a monster on the road. And like in the original, it's like just one battle where they show you the disparity in strength between Cloud at this point in his life and Sephiroth. And it's like briefly Sephiroth is in the party. He's like every spell max level, you know, does a million damage and Cloud is probably going to get one shot. But that's it. That's like all you get with them fighting together. And I think what's interesting about Rebirth and Remake is that I think there are points where they take an element from the original game and balloon it. And sometimes that really doesn't work. Sometimes it's like, why does Johnny have like a subplot that is longer (laughs) than most other games? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then other times it's like, I'm really glad this game actually spent more time on this. I think the the biggest example of that in a good way in remake is uh, Avalanche and like the other members of Avalanche, which is like in the original Barrett's resistance group to Shinra. It's just him, Tifa, Biggs, Wedge and Jesse. And really in the original, like you like Biggs, Wedge and Jesse, but they're kind of just there. They only have like a few lines and yeah, they're barely characters. They're not really developed. Jesse like a little bit, but not much. And in the remake, they really flesh them out and also really expand on like what Avalanche is. And it's not just these four people, but it actually is this organized resistance. And it has this whole complicated relationship with Wutai, which is just the side quest in the original game that's optional. So I think them like expanding on Avalanche and Wutai, all of that is like chef kiss. So I think that actually is a great example of seizing an opportunity to, to develop. But then there's Johnny. And I think in this <laughs> demo, you get both. There's a character in the original is implied to be Tifa's mentor. He might even say it. I, I forgot. He has like two lines. And in this remake, he has like a dedicated like Yakuza sub quest cut scene, which I kind of love. But it's like, do I need this guy to play a huge role? But I think the more successful part of this demo is really taking time to show the relationship between Sephiroth and Cloud before Sephiroth has his fall. Because I honestly think like you can see why one Cloud relies on Sephiroth, but two, like why he looks up to him. Like he is a good leader. And even though he is like kind of weird and quiet, like he's a good teacher as well. And he seems to actually respect people. Every once in a while you'll be in combat uh, as Sephiroth and then he'll stop and be like, you can have the last hit and just like yeah. let Cloud like do something. So he feels like he's, you know, maturing into something closer to Sephiroth, which is like a genuinely nice moment. Yeah. It's really surprising to see Sephiroth be so empathetic, I think. I thought it was going to be funny because I'm like, I can't take him seriously, you know, with the voice. And he's also wearing his like villain outfit still right. even when he's a hero, which is kind of silly. But like, I was surprised at how much all those moments worked. And this game is introducing synergy attacks. They do X slash. They do cross slash yes. in this game, yes. which is amazing. But like, there are now kind of team 
team up moves between party members, which I was really hoping would be introduced because they added that in Yuffie's DLC. And I'm like giving a little bit of Chrono Trigger combat to the system. Mm-hmm. It's like the dream. And I cannot wait to have that with the full cast. It's basically just if you hit the guard button or if you're holding down the guard button, it'll show you all of the I assume it will show you all of the party members you can do double team attacks with. In the demo, it's just Cloud and Sephiroth. But I assume when you're playing the full game with the full party, when you do that, you'll be able to see all of your party mates, which is really fun. And they're also like kind of dual limit breaks as well. Where yeah. Like, yes. They'll get like a more cinematic move together, which it's going to be so good. I, I think this game really shines in the big set piece battle moments where yeah. like the combat is perfect my only critique really at least in remake was that sometimes the game is so excited to show you the next cutscene or phase that like you'll use your big special attack and then it will be interrupted by like the next like yes. phase cutscene but overall i think they do a really good job making a great action game that retains the strategy of turn-based combat because the way it works is like you can freely attack but you have sort of like an action meter that's building up and then when you choose to do an action the game will pause and you'll choose either a spell or to use an item or to use an ability so it's not unlike tails in some way or even Sekiro where like there is this sort of timing of like when you break an enemy's guard and then unleash everything you have. Mm-hmm. But it feels really unique still. Like I think it's a very interesting take on making a turn-based game into a real-time combat game. Yeah. I used to be good at it and I am very bad now because it's been it's tough. four yeah. years and uh, I, I am excited to... I think relearn the ropes on that front, especially with the added stuff. But it it still feels very, very good. And it's not like I I didn't really have a hard time through the demo, but there were there were moments where I was like, I'm taking way more hits, especially the flying enemies. Yeah. I was like taking way more damage than I was expecting to. I was like, I know that R1 is guard. I know that circle is to dodge. And for some reason, it's just like not computing in my brain at the times I need to do it, despite playing so many games. I mean, even like a dragon that is that has the kind of like Paper Mario, you know, timing based input yeah to like do extra damage or receive less damage i'm like i'm i've been playing so much of this game that is literally all about this and i am for some reason not able to do it in this moment playing final fantasy 7 rebirth but um yeah I, I think one of the other things that they they double down on that really works for me in this is um just getting you to fall in love with nibelheim as a town also yeah. in the original game when you show up it's like kind of loose like you go visit cloud's mom at one point and there's all this you know claudia i can't believe her name is claudia it, I forgot that for some reason. I'm like, this is essentially naming her Cloudette, you know, yeah, like yeah. it's perfect. Uh, and a lot of people pronounce it Claudia. So if Even that better, they don't yeah. they don't say it out loud at any moment. I think I think <laughs> they, they let the reader decide. Her name is actually just Cloud's mom. Like that's like her legal name given to her. <laughs> In the original game, like there are a couple plot beats here and there. And then they're really just showing you the Nibelheim flashback just to kind of like shuttle you through some plot moments. But in this game, because again, they want to balloon everything. And as you said, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think it really works in this case where they just tell you to walk around Nibelheim. Like when you get there, Sephiroth is like, hey, you're off duty until sundown and then and then we'll meet up and we'll we'll figure some stuff out. Um, And that means that you have time to just kind of freely explore the town and 
through doing that, you'll you'll do a bunch of things here and there. The main ones being like going and talking to Cloud's mom, meeting the guy that taught Tifa, going into Tifa's house and playing the piano, which is, I think, what we were alluding to before is like one of the most difficult minigames ever conceived by man. This also feels like a Last of Us influence where like there's a point in Last of Us 2 where you can use the touchpad to play the guitar. Yeah. And this it feels like someone at Square was like, you gotta do that in this one. So you can play Tifa's theme on her piano, which was a part of the original. You could like play a song in the flashback. And then when you go back there, there's something to do with the piano that unlocks her ultimate weapon, I think. Something mm-hmm. like that. But like the piano was a piece of the original. So I'm like, of course, it's going to be a full blown rhythm mini game in the remake. And yeah. it is impossible. Like you message, we message each other at the same time. Like this is really hard, right? <laughs> you have to, So it's a twin stick rhythm game where there's a full radial menu of notes in the piano. And you can also change the octave with the bumpers and shoulder buttons. And there are like little like rings that are forming around the notes you have to play, but you have to look at both dials. So you have to time and the timing is off. Like you it's harder than learning the actual piano, honestly. Like I, I think I, so too. Yeah. It's like requires more spatial awareness and like galaxy brain timing than just learning <laughs> the actual instrument does. Yeah. Just the idea of needing to, in your peripheral vision, also be watching another set of <laughs> yeah. notes, like because you—that's going fast. To be yeah, clear, because yeah. you're focusing on the, as you said, there's two radial menus, one for each stick. The right stick is pretty much relegated to like kind of like the lead notes, right? So the the ones that are really playing like the notes that you would expect in the song, and then the left stick is uh, delegated to just being like kind of chords, more bass notes, like yeah. mo- moments where they're trying to like emphasize kind of the big beats of the song. So that comes less frequently. But what that means is that you're focused on the right stick at all times, like really honing in on it. And then every once in a while from your peripheral vision, it'll be like, I bet you forgot I was here. C sharp. Yeah. Yeah. Like, ah! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what's so funny is like, it's long and then you're going to get a bad ranking on it. And then there's like just polite applause when it's done. Like I've never felt so insulted by a game. It's extra funny too to think about because this whole this whole section in Ibelheim is cloud telling it to his friends in Comtown. so every now and then like it will pause like it's a film and barrett will ask a question or something yeah so like you know it opens like if you go into tifa's room she's like why'd you go into my room and yeah. then you can play the piano and she's like did did you play? I never knew you played. And it's just like, yeah, I played really well. And then he's just like fucking up all these notes for like <laughs> 10 minutes. Uh, and then like right after Aerith is like, you should play for us sometime. It's like, you don't want to hear this, Aerith. Run. You, don't, you don't want me to do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's wild. I'm curious if it's just like a one time thing and then never again, or if playing the piano is going to be like a recurring side quest in this game. I could see it going either way. It's definitely going to be a recurring side quest because they make you select what song you want to (laughs) play before you start, even though you only have one. So it's definitely going to come up multiple times. This is also the first one. It's going to get harder. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to play like a shitty version. It feels like, what was the trombone champ? It's like that level of like, (laughs) the odds are so against you. Yeah, It's going to sound unprofessional at best. I'm sure there's going to be streams of people doing it perfectly, but like for most people, it's impossible. Yeah, Uh, I'm excited for more of that. And I'm excited to see what else they add when we eventually get to snowboarding, etc. I think this section of the original game is like Midgar is iconic, but this has all the stuff that people love, like the world map part of the game 
is when you get the rest of the party and like it's kind of where you know like all the sort of fun one-off moments and vignettes happen which at least for me that was always my favorite part of the game like midgar in some ways feels like eating your vegetables so you can get to meet like sid and vincent and yuffie and everyone else and i cannot wait like they they did show like little like scenes with the other characters like once you beat the demo they play like a little reel and uh we can confirm that sid has a southern accent and kate sith has a scottish accent just like uh evan children which is perfect perfect. yeah (laughs) which is now in theaters again by the way it is oh that's right yeah but um yeah i mean overall i thought the demo like really succeeded on getting me excited for the game i i said to you afterwards like thinking about how they're doing two demos one is this and the other is going to be more about the actual open world i'm curious if this demo was maybe more intended for like players who are jumping into rebirth without even playing remake because it does like you can actually just enter at this point and sort of pick up the pieces yeah there also is a, a, a thing on the menu that you can check out that is like, here's the story so far. And it's Red 13, like narrating the story, which oh, is I love that. very yeah. funny because I, I didn't I didn't quite clock that it was Red 13 until they got to the point where they rescue Red 13. And he goes, and then they saved me. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I want Red 13 to give me the like Dragon Quest. Like, here's what happened last time when you saved like a drunk history version of it. Yeah. <laughs> but um the other thing so like overall I'm very excited. I'm like here for the madness and the non sequiturs and I'm here for the big dramatic beats. It's all part of the same package. The one thing that gives me some pause is similar to like that idea that like there was this boardroom of like here are what all the other big Sony games have. This game has to have it too. There are uncharted platforming sequences yes that just feel terrible. Like yes. to be blunt, like it is brick on a wall painted yellow, but there's not even a choice. You're just going up in like a set path. And I'm just like, why? And every once in a while they do the thing where like, oh, it, it gave oh, way. Broke. Yeah. yeah like, it's oh. like if the world map is full of that and there's like no like I'd be interested if there was maybe some traversal option of like you know, your party mate throws you up or something. There are also a lot of weird vehicles you get uh, for the world map. Like there's the tiny Bronco, which is a shot down plane. That's a boat and the dune buggy. I would guess there's going to be a whole thing with those as well. Any, any part of the game that someone's like, remember this, they've made like a 30 hour side quest about already. <laughs> uh, but like, I'm nervous about the uncharted stuff. Like if it's just like every now and then you have to climb a cliff, that's fine. But if that's like the way you get around the map, I'm nervous about that personally. Mm. I, I'm just curious overall about how they're going to interpret the overworld map in this game yeah Um, like are is it just going to be a menu that you choose from and then you load into like a large open space that is supposed to you know replicate the space between spaces or are they really trying to make the whole thing open it's possible they answered this in the in the state of play that neither of us watched um (laughs) but I am I am curious to see how they interpret that because I mean in Final Fantasy 7 the original when you get out of Midgar it really just is the classic like every RPG from that era that you've played before you are a little cloud on top of like a big overworld and you can see the towns you can go to and as you run between them like there are random encounter battles but it, you know this game 
I think has larger ambitions than that and seems to have large open spaces as we'll learn from the second demo. So I'm curious to see like, is it going to be, oh, this is the area outside of Comtown or is it going to be, you can run from Comtown to like where Sid lives? Yeah. It's also worth noting, like in the original game, even when you get out of Midgar, it was still pretty on the rails. Like even though you were in this visibly open space, you could really only go to Comtown and then Shakabo Ranch and then you have to like get past the Midgar Zalem and then you can do Juno Harbor or Fort Condor, which I'm curious if Fort Condor will exist in this game because it was made into a like basically like Warhammer mini game in Yuffie's DLC. So I'm like, that would be weird if it's just a game everyone plays, but is also a revolution. It's also a real war front. Happening yeah. in real time. <laughs> so that's a little bit tasteless. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But I do wonder because the game is also like the Comtown stuff, even though they give you a chance to like walk around town, it is designed in a overtly linear way. And that is also something that like sometimes really works and sometimes doesn't where it feels a little bit like what I had issue with in God of War Ragnarok, where you're walking along a path and hearing people talk and then you can visibly see an arena, you know, like you can like you're like, okay, I know a fight is going to happen here. And then it does. And you're like, okay, cool. I think that works better for FF7 because it's the game's interpretation of random encounters than it did for God of War, where like, mm. to me, those moments felt like they lacked the confidence of the rest of the game. Whereas this just feels like they're trying to do what FF7 did, but it still sometimes feels a little bit like it takes the suspense out of out of that moment where it's just like, okay, I need to like go here, do this. It can feel repetitive, but all that to say, like, I, I think to boil it down, when I was playing Remake, there was always part of me that was like, oh wait, is this bad? Like, do I not like this? Did they mess this up? And then something incredible happened and I was fully back in. And that's kind of what I expect to happen in this next part too. It's like, yeah. for all the poisonous gas we have to spend 20 minutes vacuuming up, we also get these like incredible x slash moments of cloud and sephiroth that make me like cheer out of my seat so. or even just the dialogue like you, you texted yeah. me the moment where cloud goes wow magic's pretty weird huh which is <laughs> yeah. like so perfect such a great it's like uh, what is the moment oh yeah cloud is asking why we're able to use magic which is like clearly just like a thing that somebody on game facts asked forever ago and and namura saw and was like we should put that in, in the remake. <laughs> um Anyway, I'm very excited. I'm going to be my worst self when it comes out. Did you see they added a card game? I love Final Fantasy card games. I will, on my deathbed, still not know how on earth to play the one in Final Fantasy IX. I've tried. Every time I replay that, I'm like, one day I'll understand how this game works. I can't. But the one in eight is better than eight is as a game. I love (laughs) that card game specifically. Well, they they added a new one in this. It's called Queen's Blood, and I'm excited to play it. Yeah, I'm going to get really into Queen's Blood. It's going to be our game of the year. Just Queen's Blood. <laughs> Queen's Blood and vacuuming up Malco poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> Cable physics. I hope it's just in the memory. If that, if it's like every, like a fourth of the game is uncharted platforming and, and vacuuming, I might be a little <laughs> bit upset. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I do think even though this whole sequence is one is fairly one to one and this is based on just the demo, but I get the impression that there's more going on with Sephiroth this time around, you know, like in, in the original, like this is the iconic shot of Sephiroth with the fire behind him. Yeah. And that happens and it plays out in the same way. But just because of the time they spent on like humanizing him before that, like the moment where he falls and becomes a villain in the original, I feel like is more Norman Bates 
And for some reason in this remake, and I don't, it's subtle enough that I don't know if it's intentional. It feels like he's possessed more than anything else. Mm. Like it feels like he is a actually different person when he becomes a villain. And I wonder if that's just like how they're explaining the shift in motive or if there's going to be some type of storyline about that and maybe some possible redemption down the road of some kind. Yeah, with, without getting into specifics, in the original, the scene plays out where you as Cloud and Sephiroth are on a mission and on the mission, Sephiroth learns a piece of information that kind of like breaks his brain and turns him into a villain. And in this game, it felt to me like he was already aware of what was there and he needed to see it for himself to confirm it. And in doing so, became not himself yeah. in a way. So I, I, I know where you're coming from. I, I also felt like the scene plays very subtly, very differently. And I don't I don't know how intentional that is or not. But I'm interested to find out. Yeah, me too. I, I think the thing that these games nail is their understanding of the characters. Yeah. Like especially like young Cloud trying to prove himself. You have Tifa as your guide as well, like, you know, younger Tifa. And you get a little bit more about their friendship, you know, when they were growing up together. Right. But what's funny is like Cloud really wants to impress Tifa and Sephiroth and they both know he does but are also more capable than he is currently yeah so it's like really it's a fun moment to see like Tifa and Sephiroth be like that's nice honey like do you know like flex in front of us if you must yeah Cloud's like oh I'm gonna go run ahead and they're like okay be careful yeah like (laughs) Tifa like roundhouse kicks a flying dinosaur like out of Cloud's way and then it's like carry on yeah like it's great I'm really excited. I think I think it's going to be a great time. I feel like the hard part has already been done, so I'm just sort of ready for whatever at this yeah. point. Yeah, same. Wow. With that, let's take a break. But this game, the full thing comes out on Leap Day. So expect <laughs> in March for us to talk about it a whole bunch. Yeah, I, uh, I cannot wait. Cool. All right. See you soon. Bye-bye. This week's episode of Into the Aether is brought to you by Andy Fisher, who's a singer-songwriter who writes soulful, self-deprecating, and upbeat bops from the comfort of his room. You can find his music over at andyfishermusic.com. That's andyfishermusic.com. It's in the show notes. You should, you should go click on that link, uh, which has links to Spotify and YouTube and Bandcamp and all the places that you would expect to find music. Uh, as a person who makes music, I would recommend Bandcamp. It's, uh, it's the best place to buy music, I think, if you want to support an artist. But his most recent album is called Superbly Mediocre. Uh, I listened to it. I would recommend checking out the song Back When. It's very good really good horns on that song uh, but he has a new album coming out soon called hopeful tunes lonely rooms and a cameo from a cat uh so keep, keep your eyes peeled there and he also says that if you happen to live in the sea caucus junction area you can find all of his upcoming live performances on his website as well again andyfishermusic.com thank you so much to andy for sponsoring this episode it's our first ever like real commercial sponsorship on the show yes thank you really appreciate it as always if you would like to also uh, ha- have your ad on the show for whatever you happen to be working on, head over to IntoTheCast.online and uh, you too can get a spot here. In the Secaucus Junction area. The first time anyone's ever said that. So a dawn of a new phrase <laughs> as well. A dawn of a new era. Thank you. Thank you so much, Andy. Here's a clip from one of his songs to play us out. I am a homebody I don't want to see nobody Except for my dog I am a homebody. Brendan. Hello. How's it going? Oh, I'm good. I got water. <laughs> I watched a TikTok. Dude, hell yeah. Uh, and, and now we're back. <laughs> That's the best approximation aliens can make of like how humans talk now. Like, yes, I have what I need and what's current. Good night. <laughs>
Speaking of what's current, uh, recently, the Celeste team has once again surprised us with a, I guess, a D-make, even though it's a 3D interpretation of Celeste. Celeste 64, Fragments of the Mountain, came out for free on Itch somewhat recently. Have you played this or no? I haven't yet, no. I downloaded it. I have not I have not opened it up. The only way I can play it is on my Steam Deck. Thankfully, there's a way to add non-Steam games to Steam Deck, so I got it on Itch and then played it there. Plays really well on Steam Deck for those who also are using it. Uh, for that but um apparently it was made in a week ish according to the itch page and uh, it's to celebrate celeste's sixth anniversary which is kind of amazing i mean i i know that game came out in our first season but i cannot believe it's been six years it's wild but it's essentially a nintendo 64 style celeste so it's celeste in 3d but like kind of you know like demake 3d and you navigate this 3d hub world it feels very like mario 64 mario sunshine where Mm. there is a hub world that has like interactable little platform sections but you're really trying to find the cassette tapes that will take you into a very sunshine like like in mario sunshine you had those like kind of abstract platforming sections that you could like find in an overall level yeah so it's it's divided in a similar way where you'll find a cassette tape and then be taken into this weird space where there's like a specific challenge to get a strawberry i cannot believe this game was made in a week ish because it's like just such a casual flex of being one of the (laughs) best like it's a better 3d platformer than most games that came out for the n64 uh and it's just like (laughs) here it is as as a fun little treat yeah Um, i will say like it definitely takes a lot of getting used to like celeste is i think like a perfect platformer in how it feels and how it operates and the information it's giving the player and like even though it's very challenging i think whenever i die in celeste the game is communicating to me why i died mm. and that can be infuriating but in kind of a fun way that challenges you makes to it learn feel the fair level. yeah yeah exactly um this game just because it's 3d and it was made in such a short amount of time uh just as like a fun little extra the camera isn't fully there so like trying to figure out like okay like it's same mechanics so like when you jump and then you dash you like go forward a bit engaging like in 3d space how far I'm going to go when I dash is very difficult. So I think it does feel more frustrating than the original game does, but there are some adjustments where like, like in the original Celeste, when you grabbed onto a ledge, you had like a hidden stamina meter where like you couldn't hang on indefinitely. So you would Mm -hmm. fall in this game. You can grab on however long you want. So Mm -hmm. There are actually more challenges that involve climbing and navigating a 3D space. I think in the cutaway moments where you find a tape and are taken to that more like level based platforming structure, uh, it feels much more navigatable than like the overall hub world does. Mm. But all that to say, like, it's really fun. It's hard to put down. It's very short. And I feel like I wonder if it's a proof of concept for a potential direction for Celeste to go in. You know, I think we'll probably get from extremely okay games. uh, We'll probably get Earthblade first, I would guess. Right. But the idea of a Celeste sequel that is just fully committing to a 3D style is really interesting to me. It's also interesting, too, that we're in a time where, while Celeste does have a certain retro look to its pixel art, it feels very modern. And the D make is 3D, which I just think is kind of fascinating that that's usually not how d makes operate but in this case it is yeah it feels like it's just following the lineage of video games at like a much 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 more staggered pace if you consider like celeste first launched as a pico 8 game 
and then became something bigger than that slightly, you know, still pixel art, et cetera, you know, kind of closer to a quote unquote 32 bit style and is now entering the N64 era. And the next version of it we're going to see is like the PS1 era version of Celeste, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Or, or GameCube. Like I, yeah. I, I've seen interviews with Matty Thorson where they've said like that they love sunshine specifically mm. um i think it was a game makers toolkit interview where they were saying that when you're making a platformer the first thing to do is to make sure that just like movement in general feels good yeah like make an open environment where there are no goals no obstacles and just like if you can make that feel good sort of the baseline is already set essentially right. to paraphrase and i think this game is really doing that even more than the original where it's like just jumping around and even falling off is fun to an extent. You yeah, know? I've seen some footage of it and and I appreciate some of the little tweaks they've added here and there. Like even just when you're in the air and you're really high up, there's like kind of a dotted line that points downwards that shows you where yeah. you're going to land. Like that little stuff is so helpful. I think to so many people, especially when the platforming needs to be so precision based like this does. I'm excited to I'm excited to get my hands on it. Um, I love Celeste and I, I want I want more of Celeste always. Yeah, same. I mean, I still haven't done, they released the final chapter, which I think you can only do, it's essentially like an epilogue to the original game. Mm -hmm. And you can only unlock it if you've done all the B and C sides, which oh, I man. have yet to do, which yeah. is, <laughs> the bigger challenge for me is finding them. Because like, I have knocked out most of the B sides, but like, you also have to find where they are in the level. And I don't mm -hmm. really want to look it up for some reason. I, I That whole game is kind of like about proving yourself to yourself. And I want to do that for that game. Like other games, I have no problems looking at walkthroughs, but for that game, I don't. I need to do it all myself. Yeah. But yeah, it makes me wonder what a sequel could do. It's one of those cases where Celeste is so perfect that how do you follow it up other than doing more of it? Mm -hmm. And I, I think one of the things that people really resonated with in that game was the narrative and the characters. And I wonder if you pivot to 3D and do like a sunshine-esque celeste game if you can have a hub world that has maybe a little bit more with the characters and like hanging out with them yeah and then have these kind of isolated platforming sequences to complement that i would i would love that personally not to yeah. tell them what to do but you know that's that's what i would want in a sequel yeah there is also something to be said for the fact that like that story feels like it wraps up pretty cleanly and is yeah. you know driving towards a specific theme and like explores that theme i think really well and having an end in my opinion is kind of important to that theme totally but there are cases to be made that like you could continue that but but i think the way the game story is told feels very complete um, so I, I appreciate that what we're getting is like, here's a fun little extra thing uh, every once in a while. Yeah, just like shadow drops, no announcement, like yeah. made this for fun. And it's somehow one of the best 3D platformers that exists. Like yeah, <laughs> right. Like Celeste 2 exists, technically. You know, the team Celeste made a classic Celeste, too. Yeah. yeah, Celeste 2 and it's a Pico 8 game and you can go check it out right now, you know, and I think having the little kind of one off experiments like that as a way to, you know, keep the Celeste fans going, I think is, is a, a nice and I think very like almost modern way of approaching what would normally just be a sequel. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see what Earthblade is because we still don't have like a ton of information about it. And that's yeah. that's one of my most anticipated games like ever. Yeah. So <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm forever indebted to this team for making Towerfall. You know, yeah, so I'm, I'm Towerfall like, is amazing. I'm yeah. on board with anything they make ever. Like they they have like a blank check in terms of goodwill for me. I think for the foreseeable lifetime. 
Slots means a lot to me, and I'm really I'm glad we have a little bit more of it. Yeah, that's really all I have. Um, nothing more to say about that. But yeah, I'm excited about it. Um, Slot 64 though is something you can just go check out right now for free. It's on itch, uh, and you can download it and you can play it. As you said, you can play it on Steam Deck, which is nice. I downloaded it on my Steam Deck. I haven't played it. I downloaded a bunch of things I wanted to check out on the Steam Deck. Steam Next Fest has been happening, so I yeah. downloaded a bunch of demos, which I'm excited to dive into. And also, one one of the bigger games that's been going around recently is Entrouded or Entroud. I actually don't know what the actual name is but i picked that up recently so um maybe expect to hear me talk about that sometime soon i've I've heard really good stuff about it but gonna gonna dig into the steam deck a little bit more this week i think is my plan but speaking speaking of games changing their uh perspectives pretty dramatically i've been playing helldivers 2 which is a game that i've kind of alluded to wanting to check out i think it's one of the kind of i wouldn't even call it like a c-tier sony first party exclusive it's like way lower than that i think you know when helldivers 2 was announced people for the most part were like what is helldivers 1 um And Helldivers 1 was a game that came out, I believe, on the PS4, but I played it specifically on the Vita. And it was a specifically multiplayer focused, mostly top down, kind of isometric shooter where you you and a group of people need to, like, quote unquote, like liberate an area or um, like save civilians from like aliens and robots and all this stuff. It is told through a very, very Starship Troopers angle. So the idea that they bring up all the time is quote unquote spreading managed democracy throughout the <laughs> galaxy. Um, and and uh, the the entity that you represent as a hell diver is called Super Earth, which is just like essentially humanity has like gotten so big for its britches that it's like we're just going to spread and colonize the entire galaxy and just call it all Super Earth. And there are obviously like forces that are not super into that and are fighting back against you. And the first Helldivers was really great. It's it's really, I found it great on Vita. I think it was available on console, but I found it great on Vita because it was such a pick up and play energy. The way it worked was that you would just, like all my favorite kinds of um, handheld focused games, you would just pick up and like do a mission with your friends and you could do a couple missions if you wanted to. You could do them solo and like just kind of link up with randos online. But you would just like knock out a mission or two and it would take anywhere between like 10 to maybe 40-ish minutes, depending on how long you wanted your play session to be and then you could put it down you know put your vita into sleep mode and be done with it for that amount of time and that was great that was like good at the time that was like a really fun experience it was um a little bit more single player focus there was more stuff you could do offline and helldivers 2 being announced as instead of being top down moving the perspective back over the shoulder and becoming a third person shooter akin to something like a gears of war for example didn't really surprised me as much as some of the other versions of this that we've seen. I think like Celeste obviously going into 3D from a 2D space is a pretty big shift. Another one that always stands out to me is Risk of Rain uh, into Risk of Rain 2 becoming a very similar to what to what Helldivers 2 is becoming. That was a really huge shift that I think a lot of people really liked. I didn't like it as much, but a lot of people really liked that. And for me, it just felt like a, a an obvious bet for Helldivers 2 to go this direction. Um, it feels like it's something that is more widely uh, would be more widely accepted, I think, by the like general audience of video game players than a kind of top down version of this. So it seemed like a smart move for me. And when it was announced a couple state of plays ago, you know, they've just really ramped up the comedy. They really ramped up like the satire yeah. and, and just like really wanted to poke fun at a lot of these ideas of like intense, intense nationalism um, yeah. and, and the ways in which that like super in, entwines itself with uh, war and the commodification of war and things like that. And it's very, it's very, very, very goofy. But I was excited about it. And I also heard that it was going to be pretty cheap. So it's not a full 
price game technically it's forty dollars which i think for a playstation first party video game is like pretty wild but i think also notably one of the things that i think would rub a lot of people the wrong way but i was really curious about is that it is one of the many live service games that playstation studios had put into Uh, production yes and it's one of the only ones that i think will make it across the finish line and actually release because as we keep hearing over and over and over again they had like 11 or 12 of these in production and most of them have been canceled helldivers 2 though made it and is out and is a playable thing and i wanted to check it out because the original game actually does set a pretty interesting foundation for a game that could support itself via live service. I think that I think it's one of the one of the games that maybe even benefits from a structure like this. And they've taken some really interesting approaches, I think, to making it a live service game that really worked for me. The first being every time you jump into a mission, you're jumping into it with a bunch of randos or with friends. And it is like exactly the hell divers I knew and loved, but just with a much larger budget and with a new perspective. Um, It is deeply, deeply silly. It is a game where you will die over and over and over and over again in just like really comedic ways. Friendly fire is always on. You're always (laughs) killing your teammates by accident and it is always funny. One of the main things about the Helldivers is like you drop down in a drop pod, but you can also pull up a computer and use like an orbital ship that's kind of constantly floating around wherever you're doing a mission to call down extra stuff you know that could be like another more powerful weapon that you're going to use or like ammo for you and your teammates but it could also be like a turret or a robot that's going to follow you around or just straight up like an orbital laser that's just going to shoot down you know wherever you throw a little point etc etc they will always land on your friends and teammates they will always kill all of you in one fell swoop and what i think is the funniest bit at least for me early on is the tutorial of this game is a guy who's like i've been a hell diver forever uh you are our strongest most interesting most powerful recruit go through this uh go through this like training area and as you go through it is like really intense but they're really gassing you up the whole time and they really make you feel like you want to invest in yourself as a character and you can like customize your armor and all this stuff as soon as you die the for the first time like in a mission they just replace you with another person immediately <laughs> which is so funny like that yeah. bit, like just that use of death as a way to just like create more moments of comedy really landed for me so they're doing all this stuff really really well i mean just like kind of nailing all the beats of of what i expect and want out of a helldiver sequel it's all just bigger and better like the first mission i went on was dropping down with a bunch of randos and um specifically needing to take out a satellite beacon that was like spreading propaganda quote unquote against super earth essentially just being like hey this is a dictatorship and we're all super aware of it but of course because you're like the the good guys you need to take out this propaganda deeply silly very funny the whole mission took like 15 minutes but when it's over you obviously get a bunch of experience you unlock a bunch of stuff but the thing that really works for me as like hell divers as a live service game is they have this big war table and it's this big map of the galaxy and they show you how much of these enemy factions right now there's only two it seems like there's going to be more there's these aliens and there's these automatons these robots like these like sentient ai how much of the galaxy they control 
and how much you and the hell divers have pushed back against it. And it's like a percentage. It's like an actual percentage that shows up on screen down to like six decimal points. And you see it increasing as people are playing and completing missions. That's you, really cool. You can see the hell divers like taking taking over and like super earth kind of pushing back against the quote unquote forces of evil, which honestly does make you feel compelled to like also help with that front. Like it, it helps it. I think it helps motivate players to like want to be part of it. It honestly reminds me of the most fun version of the internet that existed in the console space, which to me is still the Nintendo Wii and some of the channels that they had, like everybody votes and things like that, or even like the Miiverse on the Wii U. Yeah. That kind of stuff where it's like, a more social version where you can see the actual impact you're making and know that you're doing that alongside others, I think is a really fun way of coming at the live service space, which yeah. I think the main thing for me about Helldivers 2 as a live service game is like, I think the idea of live service is so maligned because it's been utilized so poorly by so many people who like clearly don't understand the amount of effort it takes to release a thing and then to maintain it, upkeep it, and make sure that the audience stays engaged. Like, I think for a lot of executives at video game companies who are 15 levels above the actual people doing the grunt work to make this stuff happen, they see the idea of live service as like, oh, it's like Fortnite. We just keep it going and we make infinite money forever. We just, you know, have all of these microtransactions attached to all of these cosmetics exactly. and all this stuff. Yeah. And then we just get money forever. That's amazing. Without thinking about like the human cost of development, the amount of money it's actually going to take to maintain those servers, the amount of effort it's actually going to take to build an audience that will stick around. Um, because a lot of these things are released in states that just don't make sense. I think, unfortunately, Suicide Squad is like the best, most recent example to point at as a thing that like probably shouldn't have been a live service game. And I was wondering, too, I mean, you mentioned that like there are all of these live service games waiting to be developed or like axed in in playstation's roster yeah and i wonder if, if the failure of suicide squad will really like if we're not going to see all 14 or whatever yeah right not to put all the blame on that one game but it does feel like a tipping point where even those executives have to see the failure rate of live service games and like depending on how you define live service it's like destiny Final fantasy 14 Fortnite. like mm -hmm. there are maybe a handful that are succeeding yeah. and they're all wildly different and they all provide a different reason for engaging with them right you know yeah. and i think really what they all succeed on is providing a world and a place that you actually want to be part of mm -hmm. regardless of my opinions on each of them like that is why you play ff14 you want to be part of this and that's i mean you mentioned like noticing your your part in this like ever-changing galactic climate in hell divers in Final Fantasy XIV, you are actually part of that game's history, which is right. like, it's a narrative device that literally nothing else can do. It's like having this living, breathing place that is getting new story that you are part of and like you can also just exist in, yeah. you know? So it's like, it's really hard to capture that magic when all you see is like, if we make one game and that makes infinite money, then that's what we do. No right. other thought. Like, you <laughs> no know, other just thought. like, exactly. Yeah. 
it's kind of like my, my dad is is really into jogging. He's been a runner his whole life. And he jokes that like when he mentions to people that he's doing like a marathon, they go like, oh, like, do you win? And he's like, it's, it's not as simple as just like, oh, I run. Therefore, I cross the finish line and win. You yeah, know, it's like right. I'm not doing that to win. I'm doing it to be part of it, you know? Yes. Uh, and yeah, I, I totally agree. But this sounds on, like this is not the type of game I would usually go for. I'm really curious about it because I, I love the satirical angle it's taking. And it just sounds like, I don't know, it sounds fun. Uh, I'm, I'm open to this being maybe like this type of game I check out. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of positives to throw at it. I think in terms of like somebody as a fan of the first one, I think it is a very successful sequel and I think it's doing a lot of things really well. I think there are some negatives that are probably worth bringing up. Number one, just like the servers have been really unstable recently. So you're getting mm-hmm. thrown out of matches a lot, which is unfortunate because again, like missions can take a long time at times. The other thing for me is, and this is this is where I'm a little bit more worried and concerned about the future of it, is like there's just not a lot of stuff in the game right now. I I have only played like two or three hours and I feel like I've kind of seen most of the stuff that I can do. Like I've kind of seen I see. a lot of the different things that I can engage with um, and a lot of the like different kinds of like orbital drops that I can call in and I've seen a lot of the mission types and I've kind of done a lot of the mission types multiple times at this point and it's all procedurally generated when you go into a mission. So like I kind of feel like I have an understanding of what Helldivers 2 can be and there's not a lot pointing me towards the direction of pushing against that right now and that's where i get a little bit worried about like okay but are you investing the time and effort into making sure that there is more stuff coming down the line if you want it to be a live service game especially one that you're paying up front for and isn't free to play like is there going to be more stuff coming down the line that's going to be added into this game is that a thing you're gonna have to pay for like what what is the actual roadmap for this thing does worry me a little bit but i also haven't played it with friends yet so like if you picked it up and we played it together it might end up being you know a fucking blast because everything everyone i've talked to who has played it online with friends like just has the best time because it's so deeply stupid and so funny yeah (laughs) that's that's the appeal to me because it reminds me of like the 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 certain appeal of something like battle toads where it's like yeah just exceedingly dumb and you're also always gonna hit each other by accident yes and that's kind of the design of it yeah i think in this case it also adds to the satire and like kind of adds levity because i think there's a version of this game where like if the satire wasn't made exceedingly clear and like you're essentially playing as the bad guys it could feel really gross to play yes but i think making the enemies like bugs and robots and like continuously reminding the player that like these are buffoons running super earth it works much better at least based on what you've shared with me yeah no you're totally right that that is exactly the vibe um yeah it it overall works really well and i've had a really good time with it and i will probably play more of it i just i want I wonder if the game is going to be better in six months. You know, I wonder if the game is going to still be running in a year. I have no data to back this up, but if PlayStation was planning on releasing, what, a dozen or more live service games, I wonder if they gave them all a pretty fixed budget to see which ones stuck around and then like get rid of the rest and focus on those two or three. That was always my thought, too. But I feel like it, it requires a certain level of delusion to think that all 12 of them are going to like be are gonna hit yeah exactly it feels like the netflix philosophy of like just green light all these shows and see which one becomes the next stranger things and then cancel the rest which i don't think is a good strategy to be clear but it sounds like that's what they're doing with these live service games yeah um 
and in the world where this is one of maybe two or three that will ever see the light of day, like, okay, the ones that you actually did release now that you invest bailed on them. the other ones, yeah. like invest in them and make them good because like Helldivers 2 has a great foundation to be something that a lot of people really enjoy and play, but it could all go away in three months, you know? Yeah. And I think that's also the hesitation of players because like you don't have to be that experience in this genre to know that that's the fate of a lot of these. Totally. I mean, even something like Destiny 2, like you never know when half the game is just going to be mopped up. Right. It's the same. It's the same problem that like Google has, for example, you know, things things like Stadia coming out. Like when Stadia was first announced, I feel like the vibe around a lot of people was like, OK, the cool idea. Let's see if you support it, because Stadia is not the first thing that Google has released and then just bailed on. It's like the 50th. You know, there there's there's an entire website. I think it's called the Google Graveyard or something like that. That's all <laughs> of the services that Google has like announced as being their next big thing that they just bailed on within like a year or two of existing. And the more of that you do, the less people will have faith in the long term viability of the new thing you say is great. It's literally the boy who cried wolf over and over and over and over again. And we've seen that happen so often with live service games at this point that like what is what is the world in which it foam stars just came out? Like what's the world? in which foam stars is still a game that people are like playing and talking about in, in like seven weeks you know yeah. you know it, or in square enix is gonna be like uh actually it didn't work out because they priced all of the cosmetics at 50 dollars <laughs> I, I know it's not google but my first thought was the boy who cried zoon when you said <laughs> like it's the boy who cried wolf over and over again <laughs> Uh, I'm a vessel for episode titles sometimes. It sure seems like it. But I totally agree with you. I'm I'm curious to see if this will stick around because I like you. I don't think that live service is inherently soulless as a frame, a framing device for a game. I was just talking to our friend Dom about this because he had played uh, the Suicide Squad game. We were talking about like, what was a version of this that could have worked? Like, mm -hmm. did this come out too late? Was this plan too far in advance? Like there was an era where maybe an appetite for Suicide Squad would be higher, like around the time the movie came out, you yeah. know, like I haven't played it. I don't really have any thoughts on it, like in a nice way. Like I just didn't really care about it at all. I love Rocksteady, but like I just didn't really feel compelled to check that one out. But yeah, like I think Final Fantasy 14, even though it is like a monthly subscription and has a lot of like strange monetization in its own way, like I think is in many ways the gold standard of what I would want to see from an MMO or live service game where it is fully I mean, it's made from a passionate place and is like utilizing the framing device in really interesting ways to tell right a unique story and provide a unique gameplay experience. And I think a game that is updated throughout time and is it leaning into the social part of it explicitly, you know, could be really cool. I just think there are more opportunities for it to become corrupted by greed. It's it reminds me of the Forgotten City where it's like, you know, the benevolent need no rules, but evil will always find a way to warp what exists. Yeah. Uh, and it's very much that where it's like no matter what genre or style of game you want to make, there's always going to be an attempt to like corrupt it. And I just think live service is like most prone to that because of how it needs to be sustained to exist. Yeah. It, it's so obviously corruptible in like really low hanging fruit ways. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And there are some things where it's like, okay, like I think there are certain baselines that we've accepted and maybe we should challenge this, but I think it's like, okay, I know that there's going to be like a Christmas outfit I can spend $20 on, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, that's fine. Like I, I think everyone has different comfort levels with that stuff. 
honestly, I kind of prefer just blatantly being asked, like, do you want to pay 15 a month for this? Because it's like, I'd rather just know what I'm paying for than like be psychologically tricked into spending $20 at three in the morning on my phone. You know, like, yeah, I would much rather just be like, yeah, I'm paying 15 a month to support the servers that continue this game. Right. I'm not saying that's the best way, but I think like the free to play stuff is actually where I have more issues because mm-hmm. like you can fall into pay to win stuff or you can just be pressured to spend money or think you're not spending that much. And then you look at what you've spent and it's like, I spent like another rent on this, you know, in, in, <laughs> a few months like why what what did i get out of this right exactly so that's a bigger conversation but i agree that it doesn't have to be that way that there's still potential to make interesting live service games that utilize the structure yeah anyway that's helldivers 2 it's on the ps5 we should definitely play it i would love to play it together yeah yeah Yeah, pick it up let me know yeah um it's it's a really good time i've enjoyed it a lot so far um oh i didn't even mention this one of my favorite things in the game this is just like a a, a completely offhanded point one of my favorite things in the game though is the way that you actually call in your drops that you want is you have to bring up the computer you have on your arm and all of the different drops have different button inputs on the d-pad so you need to like actually enter in a code like on the d-pad in the heat of combat to get the stuff to fall down so like you'll you'll have like 20 giant bugs coming at you and you'll need to be like okay left right down up left left right up down right left 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 up 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 okay now throw the grenade now the orbital laser comes in and they also do that for a lot of the mission objectives as well like if you're trying to like go in and hack into a computer or something, you, you know, you'll be like swarmed by robots and you'll need to enter in like a Street Fighter button combination <laughs> to, to try That's and like turn a, the computer off. The weird Tinder in like a Dragon Infinite Wealth where you have to like, yes. it gives you a timer to send a text back and it's a similar thing. Yes, it is very similar to that. But it's it's like while you're in hell, <laughs> <laughs> which is really fun. Anyway. That's Helldivers 2. I would recommend it. I think it's fun. I, you know, do you need to check it out right now? I don't know. Um, but it, it's a thing that's probably worth checking out if that sounds like it's your speed. I'm doing my part. <laughs> I've I've added 0.00064% yes. <laughs> That exact scene came to mind when you were like, there's a graph that shows you what part you're doing. Yeah. And it's like, okay, it's, it's just right here. Cool. Why don't we take a break and move on to our last section of the episode? That sounds great. <laughs> See you in hell. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> And we are back and we are once again talking about Persona 3 Reload. Just a heads up, I I don't think we'll go out of our way to spoil anything here, but we're going to talk about more of the game up to the point you're at, which uh, what like month are you in currently? I think I'm in August. So like we'll be talking about events in the game up to that point. So if you want to avoid any of that, maybe skip this conversation. Yeah, I'm just finishing up summer break. Yeah, I wanted to revisit this because you and I, I think, have been playing a lot more of it uh, in between last episode and this one. So I figured you would have more to say, especially because this is your first time playing any version of three, Mm -hmm. at least this far. So I'm curious, like this is my first time playing a Persona game this much this that's what i mean this is the first one in general that has clicked with you uh at this level so i'm curious like how that's been going yeah i think i think i would i would reiterate a lot of the stuff that i said last week but before i even get there i I think it's worth just saying like if you didn't listen to last week's episode um persona 3 game that uh has now three versions uh none of them definitive (laughs) this is i think in my opinion the best one to start with right now uh for most people it's available on game pass which makes it very easy to pick up if you have game pass and uh i think the thing for me that really 
is working is it's a game that very much gets out of its own way and allows you to really just kind of fall head over heels into the loop that they want you to fall into. It's a game that is not interrupting you with cutscenes all the time. And the cutscenes that they do quote unquote interrupt you with are never like 20 or 30 minutes long visual novel style <laughs> experiences. It's not a cat telling you to go to bed. Right. Yeah. They, they more frequently take the reins off and allow you to actually do whatever you want you know, to your benefit or detriment, depending on the decisions that you're making, along with all of the quality of life improvements we've gotten from things like Personas 4 and 5, including like the ability to see what everybody else is doing on a daily basis by bringing up like a big uh, spreadsheet that just shows yeah. you like a percentage of like, okay, this many people did social links, this many people went and ate ramen, this many people, you know, went into Tartarus and fought dungeon stuff. I also saw, I just noticed that they also include at that time in the game, what the average level of everyone's party is, and also what floor and Tartarus they're on, which is so helpful. Yes. Because usually I've been like, you can only climb like so many floors of Tartarus before that next full moon boss and then it opens up and I usually try to get to like the top floor before the the full moon boss it's like a general good rule of thumb I think yeah, yeah um, that's definitely the move I have yeah. I have done that every full moon so far um I've also pretty much done the like I'm going to take one night to get all the way to the top of Tartarus um, so I can spend the rest of the nights like hanging out and doing social link stuff um, or like leveling up stats or whatever. But all of all of that having been said, like that has just kind of continued that vibe that I that I'm already enjoying has kind of continued as far into the game as I'm in at this point where like the plot has really started to reveal itself a little bit more as well. Like there are antagonists now, which there weren't for the first like 15 hours of the game. It is a really bizarre team rock that I think you've already met. Yes. The Strega. Uh, there are three of them uh, and uh, they're they're very interesting characters. They're extremely I'll leave weird. It at that. Yeah, they're very strange. One of the, we'll be blunt. One of them looks a lot like Jesus. Yes, uh, which feels purposeful. Yeah. yeah, it is absolutely on purpose. Yeah. yeah, but he's a bad guy. Yeah. So like there are antagonists now, which is great, but there's also a way more party members than I thought there were going to be in this game. Yeah. And they've added a bunch of stuff into reload specifically that I think, again, make this probably the best version of it to play if you haven't played it before. And even if you have and want to replay it, this is definitely the way to go. But they've added the ability to like hang out with all of your party members in new ways. So things like every once in a while, like the guy in your party who is a uh, up and coming boxer, like will want to sit and watch reruns of old boxing matches with you. And by doing so, you'll like build up your relationship with them, but also build up like your courage stat or, you know, your charm stat or things like that. Um, there's a rooftop garden now. That allows you to like go and plant a bunch of food that you can grow and use as in Tartarus items like in combat and stuff like that. But the more you bring your friends and party members up to the roof to like continue tending the garden, the better those items become because you're like imbuing them with the power of friendship, which is really fun. And uh, I don't mind saying that there's a dog. That joins your party. No, that, that's made explicitly clear. Uh, yeah. I didn't know that. I was. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I didn't know oh, that. Wow. Uh, there's a dog that joins your party and you can take yeah. the dog for walks. He summons Cerberus. Yeah, yeah, he summons. Yeah, he the dog is a persona user, which is amazing. <laughs> but uh, all of it is really, really still working for me. And I, I was expecting myself to get burnt out a bit, I think, around the time of the third full moon boss. I think like by the time I made it there, that was around like maybe the 15 or so hour mark that I hit that point. Just to be clear, there are, there are 12 
full moon bosses so you keep going through the months and every time there's a full moon there's like a kind of big story plot beat where you and the the squad need to go out and like fight one big enemy and doing so will then kind of lead you into the next plot beat and then also take you into like the next kind of calendar month where you'll yeah. get to do whatever you want but also climb tartarus fight a bunch of mini bosses on the way etc cetera, etc cetera. and i think that's why at least for me i've never i mean less so in three do i feel the full length of it because it's so like compartmentalized like even though the game is going to be like 80 to 100 hours like because it's in these kind of like digestible 10 hour chunks, you can really go out at your own pace with it. Yes. In a way that I think is harder to do in five. Cause like in five, like you said, there are more cutscenes. I mean, I think five, you can treat in a similar way. And I mean, I binged that game in two weeks. So maybe I'm not the person to ask, but like, you know, you'll finish a palace and then there will be like mandatory scenes that play out in between. So there's like a yeah. lot, like I feel like five keeps you there like almost against your will longer than three lets you go at your own pace. That's, that's, I think the big irony of five for me is like the loading screen says, take your time. And I feel like I'm not allowed to <laughs> yeah, really. Exactly. Um, yeah. Because, because I, I think that each of the palaces that you go through in that game feel like seasons of a TV show. Yes. Whereas yeah. the space between full moon bosses in persona three feel like episodes of a TV show, which yeah. is a huge distinction. I think in terms of how you play it and how you compartmentalize that stuff in your head. But yeah, it's all really working for me. And and up until the third full moon boss, I was like, wow, I'm really enjoying this. But by the time I hit that and started making my way towards the fourth one, I was like, I'm starting to feel a little bit burnout here. Like, I think I've maybe played too much of this too quickly. And it was at that point that they were like, hey, guess what? Now you can hang out with your party members any given night. And now we've also unlocked a bunch of other social links that you can go find throughout town. And now we've also added, you know, the the rooftop garden. When we've added this, we've added this, we've added this. And also introduced antagonists and also like gotten into the main plot which just kind of revitalized me again. And I found that every time I feel like, okay, there's a lot of stuff. I, I feel like I'm starting to repeat myself a little bit too much. I feel like this is where I'm starting to bump up against the thing that I previously loved, which is like, this is the most basic version of the persona loop that we all know and, and consider to be like what persona is as its DNA. But this being the most basic version works really well for a while. But I was like, I'm starting to feel it become a little bit rote. And as soon as I started to feel that way, they introduced something that just kind of like spiced it up and made it interesting again. So now I'm at the point where like I just I, as I said, I, I'm at the end of summer vacation, which has like a whole block where you like go to an island and hang out on a beach for a while and like you meet a new party member there and and bring them into the fold. Some of the some of the uh, stuff that I've gotten to in turn, like I've maxed out all the stats at this point already. Nice. Um, some of the stuff I've started to see because I've maxed out all those stats is great. Some of the uh, social links that are like the late game social links that they start to unveil because you've already like maxed out some of the other ones are amazing. The one that I'll call out specifically is the the devil persona, which is... Um, oh yeah, the talk show host. The talk show host, yeah. There's a QVC thing that comes on the TV every Sunday and uh, they just like allow you to buy items. This is in Persona's... Or at least in Persona 5. I know they have a thing like that in Persona it's 5. It's in 4 as is well. Is it in 4 also? Uh, yeah, I love the theme song so much. Yeah, the theme song is amazing. And they specifically call out that it's annoyingly catchy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And they're right about it. And I, yeah. I appreciate that self-awareness. But like you could buy stuff from him every morning. And if you buy enough stuff from him while also getting high enough in a social link that you can get with somebody that you play an MMO with also on Sundays sometimes, mm -hmm. 
she'll reveal to you that the guy who hosts the TV show that you buy stuff from every Sunday hangs out to try and sign autographs and or grift people in the mall that you can hang out in every once in a while at night. And you can go meet up with him. And when you meet up with him, he keeps asking you for money and says that he's going to like turn it around in an investment and you're going to like, you know, make a bunch of money. And you're obviously not like he's so fucking sketchy the second you meet him and is obviously <laughs> never going to pay you back. But uh, as you continue talking to him and giving him money, eventually he's like, are you an idiot? Like, why do you keep giving me money? Like he's he starts to call you out on because he's like, I know I'm a grifter. You know, I'm a grifter. You keep giving me ten thousand dollars every time we hang out like this has to stop at a certain point and i think he ends up taking enough pity on you that he like will just hang out with you um that's hilarious great great arc with him like that kind of stuff is starting to pop up more and more where like i've started to reach the end of certain people's character arcs and just seeing the beginning of new ones i think is all paced in a way that is making this game feel like one that i can actually probably make it to the end of because I think that's the biggest problem with I mean not only all the RPGs coming out in the beginning of 2024 but like all RPGs in general especially the ones like this that are known for being as long as they are pacing is always going to be an issue and this game I just find to be paced really well for me specifically maybe maybe just in general but at least for me specifically it's like really working no i agree i i remember being frustrated like with fez on ps2 i remember being frustrated that so much of the party like yukari mitsuru and fuka all their s links don't begin until you've already maxed out one of the three yeah. stats which is like one of the things that i loved about four and five was like those relationships with the party and like mm -hmm. having a really intimate understanding of like who ryuji is and who these characters are so when you go into battle you like really care about them yeah and i and i miss that in three but i think what three is going for is like it actually does take a while for those people to reveal themselves to you you know i think it's fitting in the pacing of the game both in the remake and the originals that like the first people you connect to are just your classmates mm -hmm. and like people in town that you would run into normally it isn't until you've really invested in yourself and like found your place in this setting that you start to really connect with your team who you're kind of just, you know, thrust alongside or the like more out there people like the, you know, telemarketing guy and also, yeah. you know, stranger, harder to reach characters. And I think those characters too like drill the, you know, themes of the game more visibly. Like there's a guy in the park who's dying, you know, mm -hmm. who's one of the later uh, S-Links as well. And also, I mean, some of the, uh, I think Mitsuru is especially her S-Link ties into the main plot in a big way that if you got those reveals earlier on would maybe not work as well. Mm. I, I think it actually does work that the game doesn't really fully blossom until the end. You know, like I think in some ways, you know, I remember talking about it on our Patreon episode, like, oh, it's kind of annoying that all this stuff takes so long. But I think that is the point. And I also appreciate that a lot of the fun additional hangout options in, in Reload aren't all thrown in at the start because i think that would diffuse yes. that feeling of slowly getting to know these characters if you had too many opportunities to be chummy like right away totally yeah yeah i i think that's really important and again that just speaks to how great the pacing is that like a lot of that stuff isn't available for so long that when it is they drop that in your lap at a time where you might be like man i actually don't even know what i care about doing tonight you know like i'm sitting here looking at the the network percentages of what everybody did and it's like man am i just gonna go eat ramen like again am i just gonna go like <laughs> go to the arcade again um but as soon as you start to feel that way they're like hey you can watch dvds with 
Yukari now. You can like go hang out with Junpei. You can, you know, cook dinner with whoever. And that really adds so much, I think, as you said, like both from a story and character perspective, but also just from like a you're not burning out on this very long game perspective. Yeah, I I'm really excited. I mean, this is a game that I want to see through to the end, even though I've already finished the original. Like, I really want to see how Reload does the finale. Yeah, because that's my favorite part of the game is just like how this game ends and mm. what it's saying with its ending. I also kind of want to nervously finish it before FF7 comes out. I mean, I probably won't because it's coming out soon, but it's like I want to at least n- between Rebirth, Infinite Wealth and Reload, I want to finish at least one of them in like Q1 of the year because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be too overwhelmed if I don't, you know? Yeah. Not that I'm definitely not a person that needs to beat a game to move on, but for these three games, I actually do want to see them through. Yeah. I feel very similarly. I've, yeah. So I've been bouncing back and forth between Reload and Infinite Wealth a little bit, but I, I in the past week at least, it's really just been like all Reload all the time for me. Yeah. Um, the, the thing is like, this game is just so easy to play in any instance where I have free time in real life. Like I could sit down in front of the TV and play it, which is great. But as I already mentioned, I'm playing it on the Odin using like the Game Pass app and using cloud streaming, which just like picks up your save file wherever it is. And you can just bounce back and forth between them, which is really great for like, OK, we have something on the TV that like, you know, we don't really care about or whatever. My partner is usually playing Slay the Spire and I'm usually playing Persona 3 Reload and just like, okay, those are the instances where I'm just going through Tartarus, you know? Yeah, like right. if I need to go through Tartarus, that is a perfect time for that. But also knowing like I could just boot it up at any moment and then, you know, bang out a couple days, get to the next plot beat, save before that, and then wait until I'm like sitting in front of a TV for that. And I think that it is both a game that you can bang out a lot of stuff very quickly in rapid succession, or you can really take your time with it, or you can compartmentalize it. You know, it, it, it really adapts to your play style. And that has meant that Reload fits really cleanly into every instance in which I would want to play a video game. I can sit down and do something and Reload to kind of like check off some boxes and make my way closer to the end, which is, I think, how I've played so much of it so fast. Um, yeah. Whereas Infinite Wealth has some of that stuff, but I always feel like I need to be fully on and present to appreciate how much Infinite Wealth has happening because they have put like 110% into every single interaction that you can have in that game. Like even if you're going and just doing the infinite like roguelite dungeon crawling thing there's still going to be weird plot beats and story stuff and like <laughs> things that you'll want to have the volume on for to experience. Or, you know, if you're just going and checking off the, uh, the bond bingo board stuff, like you're going to want to hear all of that dialogue as it happens. And you're going to want to read all that stuff. And you want to be paying attention. So that's a game that feels a little bit more intentional, I think in terms of how it fits into my life, which means that I need to really like sit down to play infinite wealth. Whereas persona three, I feel like I can play a little bit more passively um, and like put it on the TV for the big beats. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that's also like I've been if I don't have enough time to play, I can, you know, play before bed on my Steam Deck. Yeah. Having it in both places has really been nice because it's amazing. It is the game I gravitate to the most in the last couple of weeks. So same. I definitely want to see if there I would love to do either a spoiler episode or a bonus at some point about I feel like this is the one for you and I to discuss. 
I so. think definitely. Yeah. 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 I, th- I think that's a no brainer. And I would also honestly like to do one about infinite wealth eventually. It's just a question yeah. of like when we get there. Cause I'm, I mean, I'm on chapter nine of infinite wealth. I think at this point, I don't even know how far into the game that is. Like it, j- yeah. it really does feel like it can be infinite. Like it feels like I yeah. could play that game for the rest of the year and still not see the end. I don't, I don't even know how close to the end I am because the plot just keeps going, yeah. uh, which is wild. Maybe I could just look it up at some point just like how many chapters are there in this game maybe that would help me a little bit but that's that's what i loved so much about persona 3 reload being like yeah there's 12 full moons yeah cool. <laughs> that's it and then every time you beat another one of the bosses they just like tell you okay five down midterms yeah yeah exactly i always love the like harsh pivot to midterms in persona games like yeah. it's always like you just took down this evil gym teacher and ryuji's like oh my god i got a test coming up yeah. <laughs> you know like <laughs> uh i think in three it feels a little bit less jarring because like tartarus is also routine to them at mm-hmm. least early on they don't really fully know why or what they're fighting for in Taurus is something they have to do yeah and it's also like i really like i keep forgetting his name but he's also the nurse and he's a teacher in the school that fills in for other teachers and will always talk about like magic and yes. mysticism and a lot of his lessons are like kind of deeply explaining the mythology and and sort of the spiritual meaning behind the design of the game and the personas yeah but he, he mentioned something about meditation that like fully explained why tartarus is the way it is to me where it's like meditation is like not fully at least the way he describes meditation and its various forms is like not fully clearing your consciousness but concentrating on one thing for a fixed period of time and it can be like an image Mm -hmm. it can be you know whatever and that is like tartarus is meditative for those exact reasons it totally is yeah especially in the original where it it really is the same place with like mildly different color and music it isn't until you get to the very top that it's like strikingly different Mm. i do appreciate this game adding a little bit more banter although i always skip it by accident like whenever there's party banter i like open a chest at the exact moment yeah Yeah. same here but uh like i am now in the second part of tartarus where it's it's like the map is different and the look is different and i do look forward to seeing how it continues to change so that was like enough of a tweak to make it less taxing on most players here's the thing that i think you will appreciate and i also appreciate i think as tartarus freaks is is (laughs) the first like I, I want to say 20 to 30 floors are like the Tartarus you remember from the original game. And then they turn it into, you know, it's still Tartarus to be clear, but they it's got a more like purple HR Geiger thing, which we yeah, talked that's about a I little bit yeah. last week. It's going to be this. This really surprised me because I was like, OK, cool. Around like every 30 floors is going to change again. You're going to have to wait until floor like 90 to 100 for it to change again, which Ooh. was like honestly great where every time i made it through a border floor i was like okay we get to change the art style and it's like nope you're still getting this which i think actually adds to the kind of oppressive nature of it's like i'm so fucking sick of this purple energy i just need something different (laughs) and if i can be totally frank the thing that they change it to after that like the next version of the art style that they reveal onto you is so oppressive in a completely different way i i don't want to i don't want to spoil it for you but the geometry of the place changes just enough where traversing it becomes annoying at all times. And I, <laughs> I also think that that is additive to the Tartarus experience that it's like, okay, we got rid of this like kind of gross, grody, alien-esque thing. And we've replaced it with something a little bit more modern, a little bit 
more minimalist, but simultaneously the geometry is constantly changing on you and is just a little bit annoying. Um, that makes it so you can't like sprint around, for example. I do appreciate too, like I mentioned last week that I kind of missed in the original Persona 3, or at least in Fez, there was this system where like if you were in Tartarus for too long, certain characters would say like they're exhausted. Yeah. And if you, and they would just like leave the party Mm -hmm. temporarily. uh, And then they would be like out sick for a night. So you couldn't use them later on. Yeah. Which like was maybe overly punishing, but I think it added to the like, you know, risk reward of going to another floor. I do think this game makes it maybe a little bit too easy to like muscle through, but there's still a system of like, Every character in the dorm has their own schedule. So there are some nights where not everyone is available. Yeah. So if that is the night you want to go to Tartarus, but like Yukari is out, you might have to make the decision of like, do I wait or do I go tonight? And in addition, they kept something that I really liked in the original, although it's not a constant option. Sometimes after a battle, you can send one of your four party members to scout the next floor. Yeah. So the trade-off is you lose one of your party members for the floor you're on. But on the next floor, they will have like cleared out the map and maybe have found where the stairs are. Yeah, it's it's procedurally generated. So I really like that system of like, okay, do I just again, the original, you could just send everyone out and they would like get into battles potentially or like, you know, get knocked out. But you could like clear out the floor way faster if you did that. So I like that they kept a version of it in reload. Yeah, they also do a thing. um, I don't know if this was in the original, but they do a thing where if you spend too much time on a floor, they have like essentially what are the ghosts from Spelunky that show up Mm -hmm. where like it's a super difficult enemy that will just chase you down and absolutely fuck you up. And it's like so many levels above you that you really don't stand a chance, um, which I think is also helpful to be like, hey, you can't really like totally take your time here either. Yeah, that's in that's in all of them. It's usually death, which is like a hidden achievement in most of the games if you defeat that enemy oh wow yeah interesting yeah if you stick around for too long then you'll hear the like chains of death start to rattle yeah i think that's been really great they they added uh I, well i don't know if they added this but there are these like these things called uh monad doors do you know about that no this must have been new what, yeah what are so there are these these big red doors that show up every once in a while that you can go into and if you go into them there are these hallways that like don't have a map like the map is all staticky and there will be a really, really, really difficult enemy, just kind of like an extra mini boss that you can fight. And if you take them out on the other side of them will be a bunch of chests with like really good stuff in it. Uh, but if you make it to a border floor, there's a longer version of these monad doors called monad passageways, which is like a boss rush where you need to go and fight a bunch of them in a row. And when you get to the end of them, there's like incredible items at the end of that. I love that because I think that adds the risk reward that's kind of missing, but it's additive. Like it's just like yes. if you really want the best stuff you can go for it and i think one of the interesting things about it is that those doors and passageways stay on the floor that they're at so if you discover them and you're like i don't have what i need to be able to come and fight this right now if it's on floor 89 for example the next time you go to floor 89 that door will still be there somewhere on that floor so you can like intentionally go back and take it out and see what's going on in there um, which is really nice and that that has been 
I, in my opinion, at least the most difficult part of the combat in this game, like it is, it is very optional and it is super worth it if you make your way through, but it is also exceedingly difficult and the rewards are amazing because like not only are you getting the stuff in the chest at the end of that hallway or whatever, but when you leave the door, they reveal the map of the floor you're on and the floor above it entirely. Um, so you could like just skip to the stairs on both floors if you want. You can see if there are any like really good chests first, like just kind of the basic chests, and you can just like kind of beeline your way towards those. But anyway, the rewards for that stuff are great. And then there's also another thing where if you open up enough special chests, um, I don't want, I, we don't have to go too in the weeds about what I mean by that. But if you open up enough special chests on a certain floor, sometimes you'll get this big clock that will show up. And the clock is a thing that allows you to choose a, a couple of party members that you don't have with you at the time, and it will just level them up to whatever level you're at. Ah, that's great. But it means that you have to leave the floor you're on, have them join your party, and then bring them into combat. And if you can win whatever fight you go into, then they level up. So there is also a risk reward there. Um, and, and there are some trade-offs about like, okay, you might get knocked down a couple couple floors as well. So they, they're still, I think, doing a good job of even though they've removed that fatigue system, adding enough yeah, give and take here to like keep it difficult and keep it engaging and keep it so it doesn't feel so rote. I do think you're right that there is like a meditative quality. And I think that the stuff that they've added hasn't removed that at all. Yeah, because it's optional. And I think yeah. um, like, are you playing on normal? Yeah. Yeah. Same with me. Like, I, I think I felt I was considering bumping it up early on. So I'm like, this feels a little easy. Now, I, I have a lot of experience with it. So I was chalking it up to that. And I'm glad I kept it on normal because I think the full moon bosses are all pretty difficult. Yeah. And uh, I think any enemy that's glowing red or like the border floor enemies mm -hmm. are also fairly challenging. But this feels like what I want it to be. You know, it's not yeah. a breeze, but it's like it's communicating when it's going to be a challenge in a way that original three did not. Because you could just go to another floor and if the enemy happened to use what you're weak to, you'll just get party wipes and that yeah. will be it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th there have also been a couple instances where they will have like a mini boss or like a save point, right? So they have these teleporters that allow you to go back to the the first floor and you can like save or leave Tartarus if you want or like go into the Velvet Room and like fuse personas and whatever. And then you can just immediately teleport back to that floor and keep continuing from there. They also have other like mini teleporters that will just take you back to the beginning, but you can't teleport back to that teleporter, yeah. Um, yeah. which that is also very much like a break class in case of emergency. I am not going to be able to continue on. Like I need to just bail out of here and I'll try again next time. But there have been a couple instances where there has been a teleporter like a, a main one mini boss next floor no teleporter another mini boss next floor no teleporter another mini boss which is like fucking brutal <laughs> like i'm always using all of my like limit breaks and everything on the mini bosses that show up because i just assume they're gonna be the only one and then they jump scare you with another one and maybe even <laughs> another one after that i i'm reminded in fez at least i think it's like truly at level 70 but fuka who is the navigator at like a very very late level in fez on the ps2 is like i got a new ability that lets me just teleport you all back to the bottom of tartarus like whenever you want oh my god really and i'm like this is a powerful ability it should be for late game but not like the end like you could have <laughs> given it to this to me at level 50 and it would have saved me like hours of losing like i hadn't saved for two hours and died and had to do it again yeah like, so i wonder if that ability will be brought in a little bit earlier in this one i hope so yeah. one other thing just while we're talking about tartarus a whole lot is um 
I appreciate that they, I think they added this, but they added a thing where sometimes random civilians will just wander into Tartarus now. That's uh, new. Yeah, that wasn't in uh, Fez, at least. So I think I think what they're trying to do, and I think it makes a lot of sense and it works really well, is they're incentivizing the people who have like played through the game before or like know enough about how to play the game who do what you and I are doing and like, okay, day one after the full moon, knock out Tartarus, be done with it. And then you have the entire rest of the month to just kind of like hang out and level up stats and, you know, do whatever you want. Every once in a while, Elizabeth will call you once you've made it to the next border floor and she'll be like, yeah, some person just wandered into Tartarus and they're like lost and afraid around like floor maybe 75 to 80, somewhere in that vicinity. Good luck. And you can go in to Tartarus again and save them. And it's, I think, just a way of incentivizing you to like go back to Tartarus, even though you may be quote unquote done with what you need to do that's cool and sometimes there'll be like multiple people and they'll be like in wildly different places and it also incentivizes you to like go back to places you've already been so like okay cool i'm in i'm around floor like 120 ish somewhere in that vicinity or 130 some, somewhere around there but you know sometimes somebody will wander into the first 30 floors of tartarus and then i need to go back there and even though i like can take all those enemies out without even thinking it's fun to be there again which I think is great. So I, it seems like they're, they've been really intentional about the ways in which people played the original and portable and wanting yes. to not fix because that stuff wasn't inherently broken, but like course correct and also change people's expectations around just a little bit to allow them to experience more of the game in new ways, which I think is really smart. I mean, I think it's, I think it's worth remembering that Persona 3 portable is widely available and was ported forward recently with like a pretty big marketing push. So yeah, I feel like Atlas does want people to see both versions of the game i mean obviously they want to sell both but like right <laughs> it does seem like from a design point of view they are accounting for people that have already played it like you just said yeah yeah i don't know if you've been doing this but this has been maybe the most i've been into persona fusion ever like usually when i play persona i just do what's needed of me like i make sure i'm not using like out of date crap right and okay i fused it and i have a few that can level up confidence and i'm good now i'm like staying in tartarus longer to get to the next level threshold of personas that i like searched in like the weird fusion menu like you can just search by level and see what you can make yes i'm like paying yen to summon back old personas to see what other possibilities are uh, and i've played enough smt and persona now to like have favorites i don't know what it is if it's like just that it's finally clicked or that this game game is communicating it in a better way i'm curious how you've been engaging with that yeah i think i think i alluded to a little bit last week but like i feel like i've kind of wrapped my head around how persona fusion works finally yeah. and yeah i mean same with me i'm i'm fusing stuff all the time and it's also worth mentioning also elizabeth who is like the the caretaker of the velvet room in this game will also just call you every once in a while and be like hey you haven't fused any personas in a while which is just oh that's awesome great it's just great yeah. to have that reminder because every once in a while even i forget you know like oh shit i'm using all this I'm level 40, whatever. And all my personas are level 20. Like, why am I still using them? Um, and then I just hop in and I have, you know, a full stack of what, 12 or 14 personas that I can just fuse into four. And now it's great. And I've unlocked a bunch of weird stuff. Yeah. So I, I've also been engaging with it a lot and similar to you, like buying quote unquote, and like using old ones to fuse into new ones. And also, I mean, as I'm maxing out social links at this point, I'm interested in how I work my way up towards the new personas that I can fuse because I've maxed out those social links. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think also realizing like, cause all the different arcana, like every S link is tied to like, you know, the hermit or the star or death, all the yeah. different major arcana. And so are personas. And I think overall it's almost like they're Pokemon type where like mm. 
personas of the chariot arcana are usually like very physically combat oriented and usually have thunder as their element yeah whereas like other arcana lean in a different direction so like there's another layer to what you're prioritizing like there could just be a character you like and that's you know how you end up with that persona but i love chariot personas so much and i also love chariot characters whenever there's a chariot character they're going to be fun to hang out with ryuji chie and miyamoto the track star all good there's not a stinker in the bunch emperor more hit or miss uh you gotta go to student council <laughs> but um it is also worth noting too that it's if you're playing portable i actually saw a lot of people in the discord talking about playing three which made me very happy and you know there was debate on which one to play first if you wanted to do portable or reload and really i mean i agree with you i think this is overall the better one to start with but portable is also not, like if that's the one you're drawn to more you'll probably have more fun playing that one. Mm. And the S-Links are different if you're playing as the FemMC because all the male party members get like direct S-Links. So like in that game, Junpei is the magician over the weird kid who wants to date his teacher, which we're stuck with in Reload. Oh yeah, uh, I hate that kid. <laughs> yeah, he sucks. I It's a shame because I love magician personas, but I don't like him. So yeah, he's the, mo- he's the most obvious, like the game is trying to teach you how to max out S-Links really fast. And I just ignore him every time he texts me and I've maxed (laughs) out so many social links and he's still on level like two. And I actually what I I looked it up. I also learned that not getting him to like four or five is preventing me from meeting other people. And I'm like, I don't even care. Whoever you're introducing (laughs) me to, I don't want to meet them either. (laughs) I don't want anyone in your circle. Yeah. I don't even I don't even care if your character art comes out the other end and like you become lovable or whatever. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> it's it's such a weird choice to like lead with like the, he's the guy that taught people what S links are. Yeah. Like that, it led with like, hey, my teacher is pretty cool. I should ask her out. <laughs> <laughs> Most of our patron episode about three, four and five is a roast of that character. Uh, so if, if you want more content against Kenji, it exists. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy you're having such a fun time with it. And I'm really eager to talk more specifics about like spoilers and plot and character because you're like right where you are is where it really takes off narratively. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to say too much, but I'm at a point where um one of the main antagonists, the one who looks like Jesus, has seemingly like taken a liking to me a little bit. Mm. And we just like keep running into each other a bunch. And it's very interesting. There have been a couple instances where he's said some stuff and they give you dialogue options and the dialogue options are like, you're wrong or whatever. But every once in a while, there's one that's like, honestly, you're making a lot of sense. And I've picked that one every once in a while because I'm like, he is making a lot of sense. I think he is maybe right about this. And the game just does not let you progress if you (laughs) if you agree with him on anything, which I think is very funny. So I'm curious to see where it where it lands. Yeah, because without saying too much, Persona 4 Golden, one of the things they added to that version from the original was sort of a bad ending where you Uh, can side like there's an ending of that game where you side with the murderer who you catch. There's like a really haunting bad ending and the game is like, are you sure you want to do this? Like everything you and your friends have fought for will be for nothing. Yeah. If you choose, I'm not even sure really why they added it, but it is like a really scary and sad scene. And I wonder if this game has a version of that with that character. Although that character is a little bit more like I compared the dorm to the X-Men and that group feels like Magneto and friends where without saying too much, like they're trying to keep the dark hour going. Like the one ambiguous goal that you're given is like, if you climb Tartarus, like you can prevent the dark hour from being a thing. And their whole thing is like the dark hour actually rules and it should stick around. Yeah. And 
you know, the reasons for that I won't get into. But like, I think as a player at this point in the game, you don't have enough information to really support either argument. So like, I mean, I enjoy Tartarus. So maybe you have a point. That was, <laughs> that was kind of it. That was like, honestly, yeah. you said something to the effect of like, what are you going to do when the dark hour is gone? Like, you're just going to yeah. be boring and go back to your normal life. I was like, yeah, honestly, you're making a great point. here. <laughs> what <laughs> I, what am I going to do? Um, which I, I don't know. I, it'd be funny if they added a, an evil ending. Another, another uh, game that I just learned has an ending like that uh, pretty early on is, uh, is Golden Sun for the Game Boy oh, Advance. Oh, really? Early on when you're first given your quest that's like, hey, you, br- you broke into this place that you shouldn't have broken into and uh, a bunch of thieves stole these magical gems that are keeping the world afloat. You should be the one to go get them back. You could be like, no, thank you, and just leave the temple. And then there's like a text <laughs> scroll... That's like a Star Wars text scroll about how the world ended and it was your fault. <laughs> That's Mass Effect also did that. We're not spoiling the ending of Mass Effect, but I think if you have been following game coverage at all over the past decade, you will know that people originally hated the ending or at least it was very controversial. Yeah. So they did patch it and they added like a few new things. Anyway, I, I'm really happy that like you're finally a true persona fan. You found the one that works for you. Yeah. I'm curious to see if this becomes a gateway to the other ones. I think it might be. Cause I think, I think it might be also. Yeah. I think the thing about the reason that I've always said up until now, five Royal is the one to start with is for the exact reason you're enjoying this. Like five Royal teaches you how to play a persona game at a different pace, Yeah, but you'll be given the knowledge that will then allow you to enjoy three and four because I mean, vanilla four and even four golden to an extent, they just throw you in. Yes. Like you do have immediate freedom right away, but you wouldn't even know you did if you didn't have those <laughs> tutorials in five. Right. And three, even more so, you know, because three is just like, welcome back to your dorm. Do you want to go to hell or talk to the kid that likes his teacher? <laughs> those are your choices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which hell do you want? I mean, part of me too, like wants to play portable eventually all the way through. Yes, yeah, like, I'm feeling that I, way already. I really want to see that route and that story because it seems like even though Reload has incorporated elements of it, it's still unique to portable. Mm-hmm. But I digress. I, I think Reload is incredible and I'm starting to feel like, like you, it might actually be the one I would recommend to new players in general. It's also worth noting it's sold really well. Like it's yeah. doing very well for Atlas. It's the best selling Persona game ever so far in, ter- in yeah. terms of like early sales. Which I think partially speaks to just the like higher popularity for the series in general. Yeah. Thanks to five. But even still, like I hope that that communicates to Atlas like, Hey, people love your older games. There are rumors of a two remake. I'm a little bit hesitant to fully embrace like, yeah, just keep remaking everything and never go to persona six. But (laughs) I would like to see a version of two that's more immediately available. The current rumors are a remaster of two. It's like both versions of two is like one Uh, thing would love that similar with one hypothetically and a bizarrely i think a remake of four in a similar style to this which like i don't think it needs four holds up super well especially golden and that's also like yeah i don't i think that might be overkill so i mean i'm curious to see what they do with it i would still play it is the thing yeah (laughs) but uh i wonder why i mean there are opportunities with four to do some major rewriting i was just about to say that yeah that's really the only thing i would want to see in a four remake other than that, yeah, I think Golden is like pretty clearly the definitive version. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. But I would lo- I would love a, a, a tasteful remaster of the twos. Sign me up. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. I'd be curious to check them out. But yeah, Persona Three Reload uh, out. It's great. 
I am still loving it. I mean, between this and Infinite Wealth and probably Rebirth, like that's going to be the uh, competition for Goaty this year, probably just like one, two, three. What, what order do you have those three games? <laughs> it's another, uh, it's sort of like um, Chained Echoes, Octopath 2, and Sea of Stars being the yeah. personality test of what you prefer. Yeah. Now we have this. I think, I think you'll learn a lot about everybody based on their goatee lists and what order they have those three games. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have a confident answer yet. I mean, obviously rebirth isn't out, but like I'm still early enough in both reload and infinite wealth. And they're different enough that I don't have a clear preference yet, but what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. What a time to game. What? <laughs> uh, sorry. Time to wrap up. I'm doing my. I hit every note too early. Also, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I play music in real life. Like I, I have rhythm. I understand how to how to do this, and I could not figure it out. What's your favorite Final Fantasy VII song? Now that you play the original, I'm curious. Oh, um, I mean, theme is great, but which one? captures your heart and mind unfortunately it's the title screen music which i know is not seven specific but i just think that's like the most iconic most incredible when you're right you're right thing like i i I love it so much yeah it's hard for me to choose i honestly really love the shinra boat theme which is a weird answer they're like like it's like a primus song yeah i think the i think the original seven battle theme is like what i think of first when Mm. i think of seven seven soundtrack overall is so varied that it's really hard to choose but yeah i digress uh we should wrap up hey thank you so much for listening into the cast at online is our website there you can find places to listen to the show you can rate and review us on apple Podcasts or spotify there are also links to the discord uh, the discord is the twg discord that is our network of shows you can find other great shows there like video game Podtimism, hosted by our friends chase and david they cover a lot of really obscure games it's, it's a really fun time Uh, There's also Can't Let It Go, which is hosted by our friends Matt and AC. And that show is a variety of topics. They actually just had Alex Jaffe on uh, to talk about the answer or the question. The question. Sorry, I'm thinking of Persona 3. The Persona (laughs) connection. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That episode was incredible. And it's a good starting point if you want to get a feel for the show. But they basically had people on to talk about like what their obsession is or what things they love in general. Um, And of course... The self-explanatory Frog of the Week, which is a legendary show you should be listening to already. Every week. All that is there. There are channels for every show. Links to that and to the cast that online. You can find our Discord there. Uh, we also have our merch store. Uh, merch has been off to a really good start. Thank you all so much for supporting the show that way. Like, I think it's clear based on many conversations we've had over the years that we have really tried hard to monetize the show in ways that feel good to us. And it's a continuous work in progress. So I'm glad we found a provider that's like very ethical and sustainable and that people like what we have to offer there. We will update that space. So I think like, I don't know exactly when currently, but our plan is to sort of cycle things out as time progresses. But I just want to thank everyone for supporting us there. And in the merch store, you can find personal messages you can buy where we'll read them on the show. We've already done a few. That's been really fun. And I feel like kind of a seamless addition to the show. We also have commercial ads, which the first one we've read actually was this episode. Uh, And that's where more direct sponsorship, but we will be plugging something you're working on. All the details are on our merch store regarding what that is. But the current system is that if you buy a commercial ad, we'll read that on one episode and it will stay on that episode indefinitely. Um, And if you want a commercial ad free feed, that is a perk for $10 patrons currently. So that is our system in place. Thank you all for your open communication about it. Uh, We're learning as we go, but that's that's the plan we landed on that feels best. 
Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I, I didn't know I didn't know how to punch that up at the end. <laughs> I think you did a very holistic just, job. Just say like an emerald, like BAM! Uh, the, yeah. <laughs> I have one more thing to announce before we sign off and eat lunch slash dinner. Oh, sure. Our next bonus episode is going to be Baldur's Gate 3, which we announced. You are actually going to sit that one out. Yes. But we will be joined by our good friends Kim from Frog of the Week and our very good friend Sadie who joined us for our Breath of the Wild episode a while ago. All three of us are freaks that have beaten the game more than once. I think it's going to be a really fun, chaotic energy. Uh, and we're going to talk about the game in more ways than one. So that will be coming out probably sometime towards the end of March, if I had to guess. But we'll keep you posted. Uh, we have yet to record it, but we are pretty well prepared for that episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> and of course, uh, as a companion piece, we have our D&D one shot. That, that will probably take a little bit longer because there's a lot of editing required. A lot of music and stuff going into that episode so that will be the companion piece on patreon for everyone in the five dollar tier uh or higher but yeah those are all our plans currently i'm excited to hear the Baldur's gate 3 episode this can be very fun yeah I, I worry that we scared you away like we made a group chat where we were planning on the episode and i totally understand your decision to not do it because i think you're not as far and it's a huge game to catch up on and i think for bonuses we never want to feel like it's like a, a hurdle or like we're binging it so like Totally makes sense. But I also am like, did I do this? Did I just like mention <laughs> ball too much to scare away my best friend? No, it was the Durs Gate, I think. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. That was, that was better than BAM. Uh, Emerald <laughs> has some competition. Anyway, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.